Hello everyone, welcome back to Gamers Gambit with your hosts Al and Wayne. We are recording this on a wonderful day as, you know what day of the year it is? I don't, but I know that the uh, tides are coming in, supposedly the slush tides. Yes, it is Blue Monday, the saddest day of the year. Because, you know, this is the... (laughs) What's that? That explains it. Yeah. (laughs) Because, yeah, it's the time of the year where it's the first month. It's a name that some people give to the first Monday in January because usually by this time you're getting, you know, you're getting done with, uh, you know, the holidays are pretty much over for a while. Your credit card bills from, you know, all your Christmas shopping are starting to come due. And, you know, you're you're getting back in the, the swing of things after the holiday season. Now... I don't know about you, but for me, I'm one of those people. I'm lucky enough where my my employer for my day job gives me or gives us uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day off and then New Year's Eve and New Year's Day off. So I basically had two four-day weekends in a row and two three-day work weeks. So now it's getting back into the swing of things there. Yeah, no, not not so much for me. I had to work – well – I have, I normally because I work the weekends I I have uh you know the week uh, you know available to me to have off so I wasn't working the holiday but I volunteered to let the other guy you know have off for the uh New Year's Day and New Year's uh New Year's Day and Christmas Day so but otherwise I don't I have to spend uh vacation time because it's all lumped into one PTO bucket so they don't actually give up give out holiday pay separate from vacation pay you know and it's funny it's like when i was younger it's like yeah new year's eve was usually staying up until two or three in the morning but now it's like new year's eve yeah my wife and i will watch the ball drop and then usually about five to ten minutes later we're in bed yeah that's about it the unless you have unless you're doing something and involved in something it's usually like Oh, well, that was fun. <laughs> yeah. You know, and actually most of New Year's Eve for uh, 2018, it's going to always forever cemented. Uh, in my mind, it's over. It's forever going to be cemented to Watership Down. Because did you see that there was a, I mean, I'm not sure how long it's been out, but they released a computer animated version of Watership Down, uh, like a mini series. Oh, the blasphemy. Yes, I, I, I have heard it's like they wanted to make it less cruel for children. I'm like, that's not the point of Watership Jobs, <laughs> make it less cruel. I'm like, whoa. So, yeah, no, I've, I've been looking forward to watching it. I haven't gotten it. I went on Amazon to pick up the original uh, Blu-ray, Blu-ray for Watership Down because now that the uh, other one is out, I kind of wanted to do a, a comparison of the two because I remember the – Tra- tra- traumatic experience of watching Watership Down as a kid. So I'm like, you know, let's see what the new one is like. You know, maybe we could do that as a geekery in general episode sometime because I have seen both the original version, which was hand animated, and then, you know, they had the new one. And I think there was like another cartoon series somewhere in between the two. But what was funny is uh, this was a couple years ago um, that there was a. I think it was a British TV station. They, or maybe it wasn't British, but there was a TV station that um, they were looking for something to run on Easter, and they figured, oh, Watership Down. It's got <laughs> rabbits. It's appropriate it's got, for Easter. It's appropriate for children, right? Exactly. It just teaches those valuable life lessons that you just didn't get from Lion King. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I mean, I've read Watership Down. It's... I like it. I thought it was a good book, and I did like the the miniseries. So I thought if you were a fan of the original book, definitely recommend going out and taking a look at it. But we are not here to talk about movies. But, nope. you know, maybe one of these days someone will make a video game based on Watership Down. Oh, that might that might be interesting. I, I, I love the bird, so, you know, any, any cutscenes with the bird I would love. And, you know, there was actually a role-playing game that was inspired by it called Bunnies and Burrows. Okay. 
which was interesting because that was what probably the first, if not one of the first uh, role-playing games that let you play non-humanoid characters. And not only that, from what I was reading a little bit about it, it actually had a very detailed martial arts system, which you wouldn't expect in a game about rabbits. But anyways, <laughs> so well, like I said, maybe we'll talk about Watership Down on a future episode of uh, something. But for now, let's talk video games. So the first topic for today, Persona 5R. Now, the Persona series has been going on since the days of the PS1. And which, by the way, uh, for Christmas gift, we did get a PS Classic, which we'll be talking about in the next story. And sounds, now you've actually played one of the, the Persona games, correct? I actually have played two, Persona 5 and I played uh, Persona 4. I just haven't done anything with it except through going through the opening hours of Persona 5. But Yeah, because I don't know too much about the series. I do remember there was a series on YouTube I used to watch called Pop Fiction. It was like it basically for debunking video game urban legends. And they had one where they were talking about, I think it was Persona 4. It may have been 3. But like for your Persona things that you get, on some of them, there was, or like maybe at least just one of them, there was sometimes there was this blinking eye that would appear. And there were all these rumors about what exactly that meant. You know, did you have something else you still had to do? But I guess as it turned out, it was just kind of a glitch in the system that the developers never really you know, never really uh, got around to removing. So other than that, my main extent is when I did get the PS Classic, a couple days ago I did actually try playing Persona Revelations. Okay, what do you think about that? I didn't really get too far into it. I mean, it seems okay. It's just the play control takes a little getting used to because it seems it's like that tanky-type play control you saw in those days where... It's like you press left or right to turn, and then you yeah. press, you know, forward, uh, you know, to to walk forward or backwards. Because I was like, because uh, it seems okay in like the 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 first person maze sequences, but when you're in like a room where it's a more isometric perspective, it just was awkward. It's like, okay, I want to walk right. Why is why is the character no no I didn't tell you to walk that way why are you yeah so it it took some getting used to um I don't know I might maybe the I'll entire get... reason I could not it's the entire reason I could never play Resident Evil love Resident Evil love watching it, someone play it but trying to play the original Resident Evil one and two with the tank controls yeah no you just can't do it yeah and that's I've heard a lot of people have that opinion about the first one and. I guess they did manage to eventually fix it up where it's not as bad in the later games. Yeah, but, I think I think so. And Resident Evil I heard, Seven, I've heard everybody's liking, but okay. yeah, no Persona. Persona is a pretty uh, classic game of, um, especially with the news uh, four and going onward. Uh, pretty much, you know, high school social issues with kind of like some psychic abilities and stuff like that it's actually very interesting yeah it does sound interesting and i mean i would guess that it probably would be a little bit more relatable for japanese audiences since it does take place in tokyo or at least i from what little i was reading about persona 5r it takes place in tokyo i'm yeah. not sure where the other ones took place but uh because i there's another youtuber i watch Gaijin Goomba, and yep. he spent some time actually teaching in Japan. So occasionally he'll talk about some of the differences between American and Japanese culture. And, you know, it's like high school has a whole different meaning over there than it does for us over here. So I don't know. I, I think it'd be an interesting series to check out. Maybe if it comes to Switch, I might take a look at it. But like I said, I want to try to maybe see if I can get my get interested in uh, Persona 5 a little, or the first Persona a little bit more, uh, since I actually can, you know, I actually do have the opportunity to play that one. 
the two the two games are totally different. Um, but yeah, if it comes to Switch, because remember, we don't know why, but uh, Joker is going to be in Super Smash Brothers eventually. So, <laughs> so yeah, in that regards, it wouldn't surprise me if they did bring it to Switch, because well, you know, they put Cloud in the. You know they did put Cloud in in Super Smash Brothers, and now and pretty soon Final Fantasy VII is going to be on that system. And you know, of course, they put Ryu on it, and they released some Super Ultra Deluxe, yet another version of Super Street, or just they released yet another version of Street Fighter Two. I think they called it like Ultimate Edition. That what they should yeah. have called it was just another flippin' version of Street Fighter Two. <laughs> Well, what's funny is that what made a lot of people angry also was um, if you look at it, I think they also brought out to Switch the compilation pack yeah, for and... the anniversary, anniversary edition, which, unbeknownst to anybody, had a version of Street Fighter 2 in it. <laughs> I'm actually thinking of getting that. Now, of the Street Fighter games I've played, I've played pretty much most of the versions, the different versions of 2 I played a little bit of Street Fighter 1, and it's easy to see why that's the most forgettable game in the series. Yeah. But haven't had a chance to take any of the others. But honestly, from what I've seen, and I know NetherRealm Studios does this a lot, and it looks like Capcom is starting to do the same thing with some of their games, how they're introducing these story modes. And I don't remember if... I think we may have talked a little bit about this when we were discussing Mortal Kombat 11, how, you know, in older street fighting games, you picked your character, and then, you know, usually, unless you had, like, the instruction manual, or or they put something in, like, the game's introduction mode, you didn't always know exactly why your character was fighting, and then, you know, you got to the end, and then the character had his ending, and okay, how many of the characters can you beat the game with? But then... I think NetherRealm really, I think they really revolutionized the fighting genre by introducing these more deep, complex stories. And I don't know, I would almost say it goes back to some of their earlier Mortal Kombat games where they introduced the adventure mode. Uh, I think it was in Deception and uh, Armageddon, and then there was also the Shaolin Monks. But So, I don't know, it should be interesting to see uh how you know you know where they go with that character joker and like i said i'm sure if that if they are going to be introducing him into smash they're probably going to introduce persona 5r on the switch that would be my guess anyway yeah and that that would be a good thing because the switch definitely is a good place for it used to be vita for a lot of people um but now switch is a really good place if they can get a lot of uh role playing games on it because you can take it anywhere so anywhere you have any downtime you just take it and you know grind out a few levels you know maybe moves forward in the story a little bit and you know it's pretty much all good so yeah. there's no reason not to put it on the switch to be honest with you yeah well speaking of persona it was one of the games that was introduced on the PlayStation Classic, which we did get as a Christmas gift. Wait, I already mentioned that, didn't I? Yep. Well, depending on how it actually works. So I've been listening to all the YouTube information, so I don't know if this is actually a tangent or going into the next information, but how do you like the PlayStation Classic since it's gotten so many negative kind of connotations lately? Well, as far as the system itself... I think it, you know, it runs okay as far as I can tell, but then again, you also have to remember, I never really spent a lot of time on the PlayStation when it first yeah. came out, so I don't have, I don't have, you know, hours and hours of experience to go by, so for all I know, one of the games I'm playing, it might run a hundred times better on an original PS1. Now, that being said, the the next story we're talking about, and this kind of plays into what you were saying too, that it has taken a significant price drop. Uh, I think they were saying it gets like a, it's down to about $60 now. Yep. And you were mentioning that you watched some YouTube videos on it. So what do people on YouTube land seem to be saying about the 
PlayStation Classic. Well, the games aren't – they're saying the games aren't representative, which I can kind of agree with. But, you know, to pick out out of the PS1's library what would be the ultimate bundle would be slightly, you know, difficult. They, they're saying that, like I said, the the amount of games on there aren't really that great. Um, one thing they're saying is, like, for Tekken 3, I believe, that's on there. Uh, it's either Tekken 3 or Tekken 2, but they use the European PAL format instead of the native uh, American format, which doesn't really look very good and doesn't play that well. Instead of using a normal, you know, American TV format that you would, they say that the actual page that you initially go to, the UI, just is rather shoddily done, not really anything that special. Um, just, just saying it was like the least amount of work Sony could have done to put this thing together, where if you have the PlayStation Classic or the Super NES Classic, uh, they're saying, you know, that's kind of like what they should have gone for in terms of quality, quality interface and all that kind of, you know, just presentation is the main thing, because, you know, if you have low quality refresh rates and you know bad uh bad resolutions and things like that because you're not using the right standard the gameplay actually can suffer and in that in that way you know these games aren't hard to emulate and they're actually using a f- free licensed de- emulator so everybody was pretty surprised that what's the actual thing going on here I find it easy enough to navigate, so I guess I'm not one of those people that really looks at the appearance. I'm just more interested in the functionality. Now, yeah. I haven't played a lot of games on it yet. I played a little bit of Battle Arena Toshiden. I played a little bit of Abe's Odyssey, a little bit of Persona. I tried playing Heavy Metal. I just couldn't really get a hang of the controls. And the... So far, oh yes, also uh, Super Puzzle Fighter. So far the game, and this is one of the, as I said before, this is one of the main things that I wanted the PS Classic for, Wild Arms. I've actually gotten into that game, so I really, I've been having a lot of fun with that. And like I said, since I got it as a gift, I'm not like, I wasted a hundred bucks and now... Yeah, you know, and I can understand how there's probably a lot of people out there who are angry that, okay, maybe they got it a couple weeks ago and then now it's like, okay, if I had waited, you know, maybe if I had, if I waited a little bit longer, I could have saved myself 40 bucks. Now, oh yeah, Final Fantasy VII, I did play that as well. So, I mean, uh, the Final Fantasy VII did look kind of ugly because I guess I was, because I'm so used to watching my, Sun play it on the Steam version, which is smooths out the graphics a bit. So, I mean, I I think your opinion of it is probably going to depend a lot on how much experience you have with the original versions of these games on the PlayStation. As I said, in my situation, I don't really have a lot of hands-on experience with the PlayStation 1, so for me, I don't. I'm not going in there with the same expectations that well you would have, because I said you've actually played a PS One, yeah. and you've probably devoted you know more time to some of these games, so you have a lot more emotional attachment to some of these games than I would. But I don't know. You'll have to come over sometime, and we can hook it up, and you can play yeah, it. And you can definitely. decide for yourself. Because, you know, at $100, you know, when you hear all the bad things about it, you're like, "Mm, no, (laughs) possibly not. But, you know, when you go, okay, so you get, what is it, uh, 30 games for 20 games for 60 bucks? You know what I mean? Eh, You know, even if they're bad, you know, sometimes it's like, is it still not worth it? Or maybe it's one of those things that you're like. It's a little bit more attainable now than it, when you go, I'm not spending, you know, $100 on this thing. See, and I guess for me it's like, well, the only game I really wanted to play on there was Wild Arms. So for me, I guess I I have to kind of look at it 
if I did pay full price for it, what, how much would it have cost me to go out and get a used PlayStation and a copy of Wild Arms? And I think for battery games like that, don't you have to have a memory card, right? Or is there internal yeah, you storage? Do have, you do have to have a memory card for the PS1. Um, that was the thing with the PS2 also. You could play all PS1 games, but you had to have PS1 memory card. You couldn't have an actual PS2 memory card and just expect it to save, which Sony's gotten in trouble a little bit, especially with the Vita. One of the reasons why the Vita failed so hard, at least in my opinion, was when all your you know, USB or your micro SD cards are, you know, 30% to 50% above the price of a normal SD card. <laughs> it's like, you know, kind of like that. You expect to be able to pay, play PS1 games and save them on a PS2, and nope, you have to save your old cards or find a place that's going to sell old cards in the future. Um, so it's like, yeah, but... Yeah, Wild Arms is definitely a classic. I I always it didn't get a lot of love from at the time, I don't think, but I I always did very well enjoy that. Yeah, so I guess uh let's turn to a quick internet search here, see how much a copy of Wild Arms goes Wild Arms goes for on on eBay. And also another quick story while we're while I'm looking that up. I just this morning I got a Google alert uh, Niantic is going to be, I guess they're going to be releasing some new content for Pokemon Go soon. They just Yay. haven't, yeah, they just haven't, the art, the brief article I read didn't really say anything specific. So, like I said, I, but I, it seems that they are doing a better job now of, you know, updating the content at a, a much more recent, you know, much faster rate, which again, you pretty much need in the, the portable game market because there's so many games out there that are free to play you have to really find a way to really suck your your gamers in and get them yeah. invested so that they don't go off and move to the next shiny thing well and that was my question in some ways when i don't remember when did it first start getting stale and i was like you have this thing that you're making I don't know if it ever reached billions of dollars on, but you know, you're you're making millions, if not billions of dollars on this game. Why wouldn't you keep it up to date? Why wouldn't you milk that sucker for all it's worth? I mean, it's not really costing you anything in development. I it just surprised me when they didn't really release any new content and anything, you know, viable cuz it's like this is just like you're just I'm minting money, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like people are spending money and playing this, and why would you ever just go, okay, that's enough? Yeah. So, okay, just looking on eBay, um, the looks like a secondhand copy of Wild Arms goes anywhere from usually about 15 to $40, and... No, I'm not sure about how much a, a secondhand PlayStation 1 would go for, but... So, I don't know. I guess, like I said, I got it for free, so I don't really have any... I can't really complain, at least not about price, but on the other hand, you do get this nice compact unit, so you don't have to... You Also, there's no discs to scratch up, you know? And that is is one of the reasons why these things are so great, because, you know, if I want to play, if I want to play Nintendo play nintendo if i want to play you know it, yeah it's not all the games but from the amounts that they have you know just that many you know if you want to play sony playstation just hook up the playstation <laughs> you know it's just pretty easy just to swap them back and forth because they're so small they don't take up much real estate and technically you can have the same hdmi cable just sharing you know all three micro consoles yeah. now yep so we also have an update for an earlier story, uh, the I think it was the second episode, we talked a little bit about Alien Blackout. And there's a little bit more information out about it now. Uh, just to give uh, the source where I found this information, there's a YouTuber I watch called Mr. H, and he does this show, Mr. H Reviews, where he'll, he usually talks about different horror and science fiction movies. And before we were recording... Uh, he, there was one Mr. H reviews PlayStation or view, reviews Alien 
uh, alien blackout. And it is a mobile game. Now, I was that got me to looking up some articles, and one of the description on that he gave, and also I found this on their website. So it sounds like you're using your ship's systems to control the map and various security systems with a dwindling power supply. That has got to be the most original idea in gaming I've ever heard of. What do you think? I mean, you know, has anyone ever released a game where you're using some sort of control thing to control like lights and doors and things like that? Not in that reference, I don't think. Like, there's been ones where you control, like, Fallout Shelter or whatnot, where you control, you know, the population and everything like that. But I don't... Now, again, I'm not a big mobile person, but actually controlling separate systems and, like, having a map where you do that, I mean, it sounds familiar, don't get me wrong, but... Yeah, wasn't there something uh, about a pizza place that where that was the, the the main gameplay mechanic and something about stuffed animals? Are you, is Five Nights at Freddy's? Yeah, yeah. The uh, thing I was no, reading I've was never, I've never actually played that, so I'm like, what? Yeah, neither have I. But yeah, the article I was reading said that essentially it sounds like Aliens meets Five Nights at Freddy. I'm not sure what to think of this. Now, the uh, Mr. H, he was saying that he was sounded very disappointed about it because it's like, okay, who asked for this? And it's not really the type of style of gameplay that you would expect from an alien game. Uh, I mean, just a lot of it's, it's shoot-em-ups, right? Well, yeah, well, it's shoot-em-ups, uh, it's stealth, where you don't want to be caught, you know what I mean? It's more of, I mean, if you think about it to the Alien franchise, right? If you look at the movies, one of the things that they do do is, you know what I mean? They're running through hallways, shutting doors, trying to make sure the alien doesn't capture them, or like in Alien 3, you know what I mean? They're trying to trap the alien. So, I mean, that in that way, you know, my biggest thing when I heard about this is Alien's always about kind of, it's a, one of those jump scare kind of movies, you know, something of either high action or it's got that suspense type of vibe. I'm like, how are you going to capture that on a cell phone? How does that, how does the Alien franchise actually equate to like a cell phone game? It just... I don't know. I mean... I think, I, to some extent, I can understand because the cell phone, while it does have potential as a gaming platform, the fact that everything's going to be touchscreen, you're still very limited in what you can do. I think, I mean, I'm not saying that I think the game is necessarily going to be, is going to fail or that it's instantly going to be bad because I know there's people that they assume that. A cell, just because a game's on a cell phone, it's not worth playing, and it's a bad game. And again, I'm not saying that this is what Mr. H was implying about Alien Blackout. Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch the full video. I only got about 75% or so through it before I had to uh, go start getting ready to record. But I don't know. We'll have to see what the reviews say once the game gets out and people actually start playing it who knows yeah. maybe it will actually turn out to be a good game now you did make a good point when you were saying that part of the action in alien movies has been trying to either trap the alien or you know at the very least put as many obstacles between you and this you know this this almost unstoppable killing machine as you possibly can. So I guess in that regards, the whole Five Nights at Freddy's play style does actually make sense. And you also mentioned the jump scares, which that's, again, another huge thing in the Five Nights at Freddy's games. At least that's my conclusion based on the many videos that I've seen of either people playing it or talking about it 
But I said, well, I haven't actually played any of the five nights at Freddy's games myself. Yeah, and the and, and for me, it would be uh, and I think. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we've heard this before, like Mr. H was saying. Um, who asked for this? All these people are trying to cash in on the on the train that is mobile whales and mobile, you know, just the microtransaction fanfare that is. And in the end of the at the end of the day, it's kind of like we keep asking ourselves, normal people who play games. I like you have said you don't mind mobile games. You don't mind them, you know, as they go. But at the same to- topic, we're getting cheaper games that aren't necessarily always as fun, right? Mm-hmm. And at that point, you know what I mean. Why are they ruining these franchises? for something that nobody really wants. You know what I mean? They just want a cash grab. But when do you protect your brand? Hmm. You know, isn't the brand something to actually care about? It kind of goes back to one of those things that we were talking about before, about gamers and entitlement. But one of the things all these people who are talking about that also don't understand is, isn't there something to say if you dilute your brand, if you don't take care of it? it won't be worth anything anymore. And that's one of the things where I alien has gone su- down such a weird path anyway, if that makes sense that I don't think the brand can be hurt too much more than it already is right now. I mean, people are confused from covenant and Prometheus, you know what I mean? And people are like, we have no idea where this is going anymore, but at the same time, at the, at the same thing, you know, again, a mobile game, like you said, just doesn't make sense for it. Yeah, and as I said, time will tell. Who knows? It might, even though people are casting this, you know, dark cloud over it, who knows? It might actually be a really fun game. But again, you did make the point that, and again, Mr. H brought this up too, is, you know, he's. A, it seemed like he was concerned that, they're just going to try to cash in on microtransactions. And as we've discussed before, you know, they're they're trying to shoot for the whales, the people who are willingly going to spend hundreds of dollars a month on this game. And again, to repeat what I said last time, if any of our listeners out there, if you are one of these kind of people who can afford to spend hundreds of dollars a month on a cell phone game, more power to you. I'm not going to judge you for that, but I would like to know where you work and are they hiring that they pay that much that you can afford to do that. <laughs> I'd, I'd almost actually like to get one for an interview, just to be honest with you. Just somebody oh, a whale? Can, yeah, a, a, an actual whale. And just go, so what keeps you, you have honestly have the too much income <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, to not do anything with. What what grabs your attention with cell phone games that you just can spend that much money without, you know what I mean? Without any hesitation. You know, I should post that on the final fantasy record keeper forum, because I know that game has a fair amount of whales. Just say, Hey, if you consider yourself a whale, do you, you know, what, what makes you do this? What makes you spend hundreds of dollars a month on a cell phone game? And again, where do you work and are they hiring? So maybe I can get a job there and I can be a whale too. (laughs) But moving on. So back to the subject of emulators. And this I was actually surprised to hear about. Uh, The RetroArch emulator is going to be coming to Xbox One, which I was surprised to hear about this. Now, from what I've read, you have to be in developer mode in order to be able to play it. So I was before we before you called, I was trying to look up a little bit about what developer mode is and how that develops from, you know, how that's different from the normal mode. And I guess it's like when you're in developer mode, you can't play any commercial games. So, and I'm not sure I didn't really get that far to, you know, look into how do you switch between like developer mode and and retail mode and is it a 
you know, is it a permanent change or what? So are you familiar with developer mode on Xbox one or, or no? I, I, I was, I forget what the project we were going to do. Uh, I believe it started with Xbox 360. We were going to, me and a friend were going to try to make a virtual tabletop for the Xbox environment to be able to be used on Xbox live. Mind you, now those are almost a dime a dozen, I think. <laughs> Not yeah. on the Xbox, of course, but on other solutions. And we had, and we would have had to put an Xbox in um, developer mode for that. Okay. So I'm not sure how I feel about that because if you really wanted to emulate a an old like NES or Super Nintendo game, you'd think most people would go and download an emulator for their computer as opposed to their Xbox. It just seems yeah. to me like it would be a lot easier and more practical solution. But I don't know. I, I mean, I guess that maybe I just don't, the way I see it, if I want to play a Super Mario Brothers game, I have no problems doing it on my Wii or my Switch, you know? Yeah, definitely. And and more to the point, I I know you have an Xbox and you've done Xbox so long. Me, the controller's always been a little bit less comfortable than a PS PlayStation controller. So I don't know why, you know, do you mean you'd want to use a Xbox controller to play like an NES game? Yeah, <laughs> and, and I have played... I mean, I have played uh, emulated games because technically if you get something for like the Wii Virtual Console, you're playing on an emulator. But yeah. I mean, I've also gotten like the, uh, for, you know, the Xbox games and, you know, from like Xbox systems and for my GameCube, I have gotten compilation discs where, you know, usually it's like arcade games. Like I have a couple of the of the Midway Classics ones where you can play Midway games on, you know, the arcade games on your game GameCube or Xbox. And I used to have the X, the Mega Man and Mega Man X collections on the, you know, for Xbox. And honestly, they didn't play too badly if you were using the D-pad, but I don't know. For that style of play, I'm not really as comfortable with the thumbsticks. Yeah, and uh, I'll agree with that. I just, um, I do know that if it if they ever brought out another good version of it, which I kind of wish they would, I still want to see a true port of uh, Gauntlet Dark Legacy. Yep. <laughs> um, the one for the PS4 I think was good, but it was still not a true. I, I and we talked about this before. I think is when they do. Um, arcade games and then they don't do actual ports they just decide to make them a type <laughs> of it you know what i mean and it's like oh god it's not what i really wanted well speaking of emulation this brings us to our last story and that is the rapper soldier boy decided he was going to try to venture into the video game industry you know and that's fine you know it's uh not unusual for rap musicians to venture off into other industries. Some of them have their own, you know, clothing lines and, uh, you know, Dr. Dre had his Beats headphones and stuff. Okay, no problem. Oh, yes. And now also he definitely is not the first, you know, rapper who's shown a lot of interest in video games. I know there was one game and I think there were some other ones, uh, Def Jam, Battle for New York. And I think there were some other ones, too, where it was basically a fighting game, but you were using various rap stars as the fighters. And there was also, I think, a basketball one that did the same thing. And also there was one that was uh, unreleased. Uh, did you ever remember hearing about the video game that uh, Snoop Dogg was getting involved in and was trying to get created? I remember something about it, but I don't remember a name or anything like that. I, I never... I never heard anything after that, though. That was the biggest thing. It was like a news article. I think we got two or three of them, and then it just kind of disappeared off the map. Yeah, because I remember an old issue. I think it was Game Informer. Uh, Snoop Dogg was working on a game called Fear and Respect. And honestly, it sounded like it, it had an interesting concept behind it. Yeah, it was a gangster thug-like life type game, but uh, the the way the game worked is I guess certain things you would do would gain you levels, different levels of fear and different levels of respect. 
and that would have different effects on the game. So if an NPC you were dealing with was afraid of you, that might open up op different options than if they respected you. But on the other hand, if they respected you, that might also open up different options that you couldn't get if your level of fear was higher. So it sounded like it would be an interesting concept for, you know, for a game. But that's not what Soldier Boy decided to do. He decided to partner up with a company, and I apologize, I don't have the name uh, written down here, but it is a Chinese company that makes knockoff consoles. So Soldier Boy didn't actually make any games for it. He didn't make any decisions. It's just they let him sell it and slap his name on it. And this says it looks like may also end up being his first and last venture into the video game industry. Yeah, this was a very interesting story to me because, um, yeah, everybody knows the consoles technically, you know, like the little Nintendo consoles that they sell over there, you know what I mean, are pretty much illegal. I mean, you've... It, if you've ever gone into like a Radio Shack or if you can find one anymore uh, <laughs> or a couple other things, you know, you'll see things like the cheap knockoffs and stuff like that that are unlicensed. And it still surprises me that they can sell those. But then when yeah, I don't know if you heard, but the actual original consoles were like, you know, a third Cheaper. The cost <laughs> of what he was selling it for. Yeah. It was and like. How? <laughs> oh, and before I be gone, have you been to the mall recently? I have not. There is a kiosk in one of the wings, and I forgot which one. They have those little knockoff NES consoles that have like 600 or so games in them. Yeah. I don't know. I'm tempted, half tempted one of these days to buy one. But then again, you never know. You might It might be there one day, and then the next day you go there, it might be an empty kiosk. So, But anyways, continue. <laughs> Yeah, no, this was a very interesting story because not only did the guy decide to do it, he decided to make a new console as well. So there was the, I forget, the Soldier Boy first console and then the... The then Retro Mini. The, yeah, the Retro Mini. And then he had a PlayStation 4 lookalike kind of console. The Fuse, yeah. And that was like not even very powerful i forget what the actual story was about that thing but well with the fuse because i was i watched a few videos on it on youtube the problem with the fuse is first it's one of those systems where you have to always be online in order to play it now the problem is the servers that you need to connect to in order to play this system are in china so it's clear that this particular console was not intended to be played outside of china and people yeah. who have you know actually bought it and have tried to play it have often reported that it's difficult because you might be playing a game and then all of a sudden you know you're disconnected so you lose all your game progress so that was a very unusual choice now, the other two with the the retro console and then the retro mini, those I think make a little more sense because if anything, the, well, the Nintendo has proven that retro consoles can still be popular. You know, yeah. we've discussed this, the NES Classic and the, the, the SNES Classic have both sold very well. Uh, PlayStation 2 or the PlayStation didn't exactly pull it off correctly, <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the units have sold. Yeah, that wasn't a matter of, you know, people wouldn't have bought it if it was a good product. It was just that they didn't quite do the engineering right on that yeah. one. And in the case of the the console, and I don't know if this was just the model that Soldier Boy was was selling or if this was the the normal one but apparently there's problems with like frame rates and screen tearing where and what i mean by that is like let's say you're playing super mario brothers and if you're moving along too fast it's like the bottom maybe like tenth of the screen it looks like it is you know the the pixels are off a little bit it's like they're they're trying to catch up yeah 
Which, let me ask you this. If something that was made in 1984, 85 could run it, why do we have any problem in today's... <laughs> <laughs> that is a very good point. I mean, I'm sure that this uh, this console has much more computing power than uh, an NES, but yeah, your your old NES can run Super Mario just fine. And here it's like, okay, there's times where you have screen tearing and frame rate issues. And now to get back to Soldier Boy himself, this is what I find unusual. You would think, now he's involved in the music industry. You would think he has at least a little bit under understanding about copyright. Yeah. And, or at least, at the very least, he should know someone who knows a copyright lawyer, you know, so, cause I'm sure if you took one of his songs and put it on a compilation CD without his permission, he would be, he would be after you in a second. But yeah. he, in a way he just reading some of the tweets and his reactions, he kind of reminds me of, do you remember the pharma bro, Martin Scarelli? Yep. Well, after his trial, one of the jurors said that Scarelli was his own worst enemy. At you know, if he would have just admitted he made a mistake, he probably would have gotten off with just a fine. But since he acted like such a pompous jerk during his case, the jurors like, okay, you're going to prison. And like I said, the some of the tweets that Soldier Boy was making, uh, attacking like his critics, it makes some of Donald Trump's tweets almost seem civil by comparison. Let's just say the the dude just when you're when you're admittedly doing something that you know is wrong, like you said, this guy's not like some dumb person who's never you know understood what copyright or you know trademarks are. I mean, he's he's got his own thing. He he's probably looking like you said in his best interest with his own stuff. How somebody like that can just go. Okay, this is going to be cool. Nobody's going to care about this. And then when people start going, you know, this is going to happen, and we all know from YouTube, you know, Nintendo does not mess around with stuff like that, with monetization of their own videos and stuff like that. What do you think they're not going to take care of their own IP? You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Like, He's going to fight it, you know what I mean? Or they don't have anything. I forgot what his actual words were, but it was... He's like, yeah, was, Nintendo ain't gone do shit. And, of course, it, you know, ain't <laughs> and then gone. And, you know, like I said, the, 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 the grammar in his treats was, of course, very street, very uh, rapper. Yeah. Another reason that I think he... And, he, oh, yes, he was also saying that, you know, anyone who thinks that my console is going away is retarded and you know that everything is legit i have the i got the licenses which i think see the thing is i this is just a guess so i might be wrong on this he probably assumed that the company he was working with took care of all the licensing and that you know that that's why he probably thought it was legit so that could have been an honest mistake it also could have been a very ignorant mistake, but he was pretty much forced to take it down. And I, I said, I've seen a few different YouTube videos on the subject. Some people, some commentators are saying that he's just looking at huge fines. Others say that he's looking at possible prison time. I don't, like I said, I don't know if he settled out a case with Nintendo, but like I said, this looks like it's pretty much been his first and last foray into video games. <laughs> and, oh, uh, oh, yes, this is what really made, I think, why he was really his worst enemy in this case. Of course, he had to play the race card. Oh, you, you're not serious. Seriously, that was one of his tweets, which I'm sure he's deleted by now, but he played the race card saying that their, Nintendo's only doing this because they don't like seeing a black man make money. It's like, no, you're selling a console that has their intellectual properties on it. Yes, they are going to come after you. And again, now, now I remember what I was going to say before. 
uh, you were talking about how Nintendo goes after people for copyright hits on YouTube videos. Yeah. Um, a while ago, my son and I put up a YouTube video of where after we got Mario Maker and just doing our comments and thoughts on that. I mean, come on. Nintendo freaking hit us with a copyright thing, you know, where they just monetize it, where I guess there's like a video that you you have to watch an ad before you can watch our video. But come on, if they're going to come after a small-time podcaster who is just talking about how much he likes one of their games, do you really think they're going to ignore you selling your their products and making lots of money off of it? What's What's funny is, if I if I'm not mistaken, and this is going to make me sound really ignorant, and I, I apologize, but Reggie Fizeme, just saying, who's who's that? I the CEO of Nintendo of America. Okay, okay, <laughs> sorry, I didn't I know the guy's I, name. I don't think he's white. If he's playing a race card, he's got to understand the race card works in the U.S. because we have a history of it. Yeah. I don't know how well the the race card works in a company in Japan, you know what I mean? How much they're concerned of any of that because they're, they don't care. They only look at dollars and cents. They don't care what race you are. If they see you trying to, you know, imply in any big company, really, if they see you trying to mess with their IP on their copyrights, they're going to defend it because that's what they have to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Half the YouTubers out there are white and they're the ones who are getting hit with the copyright thing. So it's not, uh, you know what I mean? It's, I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I can't see the numbers of people who got copyright strike, but with that, it, I would say, you know what I mean? I guess it rem as far as I know right now, it remains to be seen whether he's actually going to go to prison or whether he's just going to have to pay a lot of fines. But and I mean, how do you feel about emulators in general? Because a lot of gamers I know, they see it as kind of a moral gray area. And I mean, I know Nintendo has gone after emulation sites. And there was one that they actually hit with like, I think it was like a $12 million fine or something like that. Yeah. So it was a couple or something that was running an emulation site. So here's the thing is... For a long time before the Wii came out, right, emulation was your only really place to play any of these old games. I mean, really, there was no other option. Unless you actually had the console still and had the game, your only choice was emulation. And a lot of people, I remember at that time, would I would talk to them and they said, yeah, I would pay for this again if, you know what I mean? If it was available. Could, if it was available, but because I can't get it anymore, I this is my only way to play this. And emulation, as far as I know, is okay as long as you own the original game. Now, I don't know about you, but I owned a lot of games in the past. You know, they've either been sold, given away, or you know what I mean, whatchamacallit. But sold I at a rummage sale for... Uh, for a dollar <laughs> exactly so it's kind of like on that point you know what i mean i can't prove that i owned it but i know i owned it in the past so i my th my thing on the emulation is especially now with the nintendo switch because they don't they want to give you a set amount of nes games right that you can play not the entire library but it's still like but i want to be able to play the games like i believe with the wii u or the 3ds one of the two they were like well we don't know why we would want to release uh super nintendo games yeah and, and that's true it's like it's i one of the justifications i hear for you know emulation or emulators and you mentioned one of it is that uh there's gamers that think that well if you still have a physical copy of that game, then there's absolutely no, you know, there's no guilt or moral uh, qualms about getting an emulator and installing that particular game. But what about, yeah, what about some games that maybe Nintendo has no plans on bringing to the virtual console or the company that made it? Maybe they've gone out of business um, or maybe they're not, 
as I said, maybe it's another company like Capcom or Konami where, you know, there was this game they released a while ago and, well, I, let me just use Konami as an example. Uh, probably one of their more obscure games is Monster in My Pocket. And I don't know if you remember those toys or not, but they had a video game based on it. And I don't know if there's a huge demand for it, but I don't foresee Konami as having any plans to, you know, to to re-release that. And I'm sure in that, that maybe that's a bad example because there would be licensing rights since it is based off of a licensed product. But yeah. what if you've got someone who wants to check that game out and they can't find it at their local secondhand store. So, but yeah, the the main reason I think a lot of people justify emulators is for preservation purposes. Because, yeah, there's a lot of great old games out there that the younger generations may otherwise never have a chance to play. Yeah, and that's the and I think that's why if the if I'm right, the government has said, you know what I mean, for preservation purposes, it's fine to have emulation and stuff like that. Mind you, you just can't – and here in the Soldier Boy situation, the the main thing is you can't profit from it. You're not supposed to sell them. You know what I mean? Having them free is one of the things that is the main great sin, as you were, of why Nintendo would say, well, we're not making money off in it. You shouldn't be able to make yeah. money off it. Well, if you put it out, you would be making money off in it. But, you know, it's kind of like the if you ever heard of the Disney Vault. yeah. We're going to stop selling this because, well, we're going to put it in the vault. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this brings us to our opinion section. Do companies go too far in defending their copyright? And again, Nintendo, as much as I like them and uh, their systems and a lot of their products, they're one of the worst offenders in this situation. Now, in the case of Soldier Boy, I think they are fully justified in what they were doing. It's a lot harder to go after the companies that make them because since they're overseas, there's a different set of legal procedures. But in the situation where, okay, if they're going after a site that's distributing the, uh, you know, ROMs, but they're not selling them, okay, maybe that's understandable. But if they're not profiting off about it, you know, off of it, are they really justified with socking them with millions of dollars worth of fines? And in the case of YouTube videos, and I don't know if they still do this, but I guess for a while Nintendo was really bad about if, like, let's say I posted a video. Well, let's just use Super Mario Maker again. You know, my son and I generally enjoyed the game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so if we would post a video talking about how much we liked the game, then, okay, they're going to hit us with that that copyright claim saying that, you know, okay, we don't, they're not required, we're not we're it's not we're not going to be forced to take the video down but nintendo gets a monetized ad you know that has to play before uh anyone can watch the video which okay i don't really concentrate on youtubes i have youtube videos out there but it's not something that i'm I don't, i'm not getting enough views to really get any sort of royalties off of it however if let's say I posted a video about Super Mario Maker and I was saying that how much that I hated the game, it was terrible. It was the worst game that I ever played. Nintendo would actually ask YouTube to have us take it down. And I, I know other people who've had problems with YouTube and, and copyrights where the problem is YouTube makes you, makes you prove your innocence. So in theory, I could say, okay, Joe Schmo over there, I'm going to do a copyright claim on one of his videos and YouTube is makes it up to Joe Schmo to prove he's innocent as opposed to making me prove that I have a legitimate claim on that person's video. So I know it gets complicated. It can be a real headache. But do you think that Nintendo is justified in some of their actions? Not just Nintendo, but some of the other video game companies do you think they are justified in this or are they going it too are they going too far? Um I think they are justified in protection of their copyright. Okay, so the whole monetization thing with the YouTube videos was going too far in my opinion. There's no reason for it. 
it's nice that you want money, you know what I mean? But you can't just take other people's money for either their hobby or whatnot, especially with the whole uh, demonetization of videos that's been going on lately, the YouTube war for ads and stuff like that. I don't know if you've heard about that or whatnot, but the inappropriate inappropriate stuff for inappropriate people, you know, (laughs) that's not YouTube's thing apparently. Oh, like oh, if no. um, if, like if someone if I'm posting a a video of my dogs playing out in the snow, and then like YouTube puts like an ad for an R-rated movie or something on it. Either that or the content, like say Tide doesn't want to be associated with what you're posting because you're posting something ultra violent or something or or something else. You know what I mean? It's just. I forget what it really is about, but it's it was all about that there were some people who fe- felt that, especially for advertisers, like the content of YouTube wasn't appropriate to be seen with their product. And then all of a sudden they built an algorithm that doesn't necessarily address the actual problems, if that makes sense. It just demonetized everybody. Okay, yeah, and and I can understand that because... I mean, yeah, if you're selling, um, you, you know, if you're selling a product aimed at young children, you probably don't want that ad to run before someone playing, you know, doing a video showing all the fatalities in the latest Mortal Kombat game. Yeah, I can totally understand that. Yeah, I think they're they're justified in some cases. Again, if there's situations where they're not making money off of it, I would see that as um, a gray area. Yeah, it's 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 weird. It's I know it's one of those situations where there's a lot of shades of gray. I did learn, by the way, just in case uh, you're interested, there was a current court case that I've been watching for the Star Control case of why it's on the YouTube person to say why their stuff is appropriate or why they shouldn't have a DMCA takedown. Because if the if YouTube doesn't actually take down the video or whatnot that has a copyright infringement infringed material on it, they actually can be also considered liable mm. for the copyright infringement because they did not act according when somebody had a DMAC strike against them. Yeah, and still, I mean, it's still one of those things where I think sometimes uh, companies are. I think they don't really understand how exactly how much content is uploaded to YouTube every day. Yeah. I think I heard something like, because this was back when the whole net neutrality um, cases were going on all over the place. And I think someone said that it was like every minute, about 24 hours worth of material is uploaded to YouTube. I might be wrong on that, but like I said, basically every minute, several hours worth of video is uploaded. So what is YouTube supposed to do? I mean, are they supposed to hire... I mean, that's why they have to do these algorithms, I'm sure, because, I mean, it's amazing. It's like some of the videos I've posted, it's like a minute after I'm done posting it, boom, there's a copyright claim on it. And, you know, where, again, it's not taken down, it's just that, uh, again, they're they're doing the ad for it. But have, there's someone else gets a monetized ad that gets to play before it. But still, it's like, like I said, it's frustrating because, okay, these people don't seem to understand how much, how much material is out there on YouTube. They would have to probably have a staff of millions of people constantly monitoring content being uploaded to make sure there's nothing violating copyright in it that's one of the reasons why people wonder the steam store why why that's such a mess same issue how many games do they have going up there they want everybody to be able to put their game on steam but there's no quality control because they just don't have the (laughs) yeah it's like what are they supposed to do play through play through every single game that gets uploaded there and just to make sure it's good because <laughs> I know I have heard of a few cases where there have been some games on that were made for sale on Steam that were just hideously bad. But 
Well, I know it's a question that we're not, we're certainly not going to be able to answer because neither one of us are copyright experts. But I mean, while I can, I think we can both certainly understand companies trying to defend their copyright. It's, they still can take it too far. And sometimes it's just a case of the punishment not finish, fitting the crime. Like in that yeah. case of that couple where they were distributing the Nintendo ROMs. Okay, I can see them taking down the site, but hitting them with millions of dollars worth of lawsuits? Yeah, um, that's a little unreasonable in my opinion, but. Well, and again, if. Yeah, I think we talked about this one. It's just. It, like you said, it's like, well, how, how are they supposed to pay for a fine when even, even reasonably have they made that much money off of this? Well, if they're not actually selling the games or selling access to the site, well, they're making no money. Therefore, where are you getting the, the you know, like you were saying, the punishment fitting the crime? Where are you getting this judgment being okay at the, you know, at the end of the day? Because they haven't even made that much money from this. So, I don't know. Yeah, like I said, that's something that, that's a question we're not going to be able to answer, but it's something that I think society as a whole needs to have a discussion about. So, well, I certainly hope that you've enjoyed our discussion today. And any closing thoughts today, Wayne? Mm, uh, only possibly Mario's coming out at the end of the week for Switch, and I'm happy <laughs> about that. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, nope. Nothing for me today. So thanks again for tuning in and keep on gaming. It was a dark and stormy night, and the hosts of the Queens of the Damned podcast had just gathered around the fire with their tomes of forgotten lore. Don't forget the wine. And a lot of wine, much of which had already been imbibed. For her part, Miranda was discussing A history of Frankenstein, from its conception to Karloff's beloved role as the monster. And Rachel would continue with Vincent Price. Like everything about Vincent Price. And as the fire died down, Nikki would conclude the evening With something related to gothic literature, probably. You know me so well. Do you like listening to three women debate about the cultural significance of the horror genre? And also axe murders. I do love a good old-timey axe murder story. Then Queens of the Damned, a horror podcast, is the show for you. Find us on Apple Podcast, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere you can download a podcast. Visit us at queensofthedamnedpodcast.wordpress.com, qotdpodcast.podbean.com, or email us at qotdpodcast at gmail.com for more details about our monthly horror giveaways. Stay spooky. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POIGamestudio.com. 